Welcome to The Power of Digital Policy, a show that helps digital marketers, online communications directors, and others throughout the organization balance out risks and opportunities created by using digital channels. Here's your host, Christina Podner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Power of Digital Policy. I'm excited today to have with us Eric Johnson. Eric is the founder and CEO of Amembercy, which is a digital health company democratizing access to quality, affordable dental care through subscription-based dentistry. An interesting topic, a timely topic, and one that everybody should be thinking top of mind because it's changing not just the industry, but how each and one of us take in healthcare today. So, Eric, welcome. Thank you, Christina. Um, happy to be here and very excited to share uh, our story and Membercy's story and how we're uh, disrupting ancillary healthcare. Well, let's start there because, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has been such an accelerator in terms of shifting consumer preferences. Most days, I think members that are listening today feel like they really can't understand which way is up, which way is down because everything is shifting. What have you seen transpire in the healthcare space as a result of the pandemic, especially when it comes to kind of patient behavior and what you can offer from a healthcare perspective? Prior to the pandemic, dental has had significant issues with access and affordability. And proof of that is roughly 120 million-ish Americans um, don't have dental insurance and pay cash if and when they visit the dentist. These are folks that are all across uh, the spectrum, right? Rich, poor, black, white, um, in Texas and New York and California. So it's totally agnostic to the region. And when COVID hit, that really accelerated those numbers. As a result of COVID, a lot of employers kind of looked at the benefits and a lot of employees were let go, particularly folks that are kind of gig workers, part-time workers in our retail space. When they were let go, they uh, lost their health benefits. Traditionally, some health benefits included dental. The majority of them actually include dental, but they're not really uh, utilized within the, the overall benefits package for cost reasons. And the fact that dental insurance is traditionally not really insurance, right? You've got your $1,000 maximum, you've got waiting periods, and you've got just a bunch of red tape around that. As a result, there have been more folks than ever in the market that are, quote unquote, paying cash if and when they go to the dentist. And we believe that our model is better than insurance because it is democratizing access to care. It's not insurance. There's no risk bearing model, right? Folks that utilize our program are really utilizing them to have a more connected and personal experience when they go to the dentist. So tell us a little bit about that. What does that look like? Really, when we're talking about a subscription-based model and democratization of that kind of care paradigm, what does that look like? What does that really mean at the end of the day? About 10 years ago, dentistry started to consolidate, meaning prior to 2010-ish, dentistry was was still kind of a cottage industry. You'd have a dentist uh, who worked in the back of a medical office. It wasn't really a consumer retail-minded organizations out there. And, and, and dentistry started to consolidate, meaning dental service organizations, or, or what they call DSO, started to acquire dental offices and handle all non-clinical aspects of those practices. Today, about 25% of all dentists are the DSO. Back in 2010, it was about 1% to 2%. And projections are by 2025 that roughly 50% of all dentists will be affiliated with, with DSOs. So what we do is we go to the DSOs or the DSOs approach us and they say, hey, we have 
a problem with getting patients to come into the office, or we have a problem with getting patients to say yes to their recommended treatment, or we have a problem with getting patients to continue to visit our office for their regular scheduled visits, typically once every six months for routine care. So we come in and we'll analyze the data. We'll see, okay, this DSO has these issues with pricing, right, with case presentations and with patient loyalty, and we'll help them create an infrastructure and a plan that is offered out of their office at the time of service to patient to accomplish increasing case acceptance services rendered to patient loyalty. So they essentially are becoming a member of that office or group of offices. And that program we create for, for the DSO is, is proprietary and captive to that organization. So no longer in our mantra, insurance companies kind of creating the narrative and controlling the narrative on how that office can service patients. We're really allowing through our platform, these offices to have a professionally administered and and licensed dental plan. Do you see consumers driving that mostly? I mean, it sounds like basically we do have entities that need the business or they understand the opportunity to provide increased care to their patients. But are consumers the ones that are mostly driving this or what are the biggest drivers? Yeah, so it's kind of both, right? So organized dentistry is really driving it. So these DSOs that see tons of patients and have heavy patient volume are the ones really driving it because when you walk into their practices, you go to their websites, you're going to see all types of content and marketing materials that are talking about their membership program. If the program wasn't working and consumers were not enrolling in it, it obviously wouldn't be growing. So today, for example, we've got over 4,000 locations across the country in 41 states that consist in of about a million members in total that are members. So members are really, our patients are really driving, I think, uh, the next level growth of the uh, movement. Initially, right, when we rolled this out, we were the first people in the country to do it. And it was uh, driven through kind of a grassroots movement amongst organized um, dentistry. Now, today, we're what you call like a B2B2C model, meaning we enable our channel partners, which are dental practices, to to enroll patients. So we're excited to launch in January Member C Marketplace, which will be our first ever direct-to-consumer initiative, where we will be marketing direct-to-consumers, and they'll be able to compare and enroll in one of our 40 plus member seat powered subscription programs and then go into the office, present their membership ID card and get the services at a discounted member open rate. So Eric, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about the different types of that's required here. And obviously digital is one of the pillars of the democratization of dental care that you're describing. What are your thoughts or predictions in terms of the impact of this digital? What kind of components are we talking about from a digital perspective? Is it going, you know, in the direction of AI and sort of using AI to help understand consumers and deliver ultimately the type of care they need? Or what components do we need to make the ecosystem work? Yeah, so number one is transparency. So we believe through a digital, the digital ecosystem, we can enable dentists to, to take back kind of the narrative from insurance companies who traditionally never published fees and publish a transparent savings menu for our members. So if you look at any of our plans, we publish the quote-unquote retail fees for the 40 most utilized services of that group. And then we have a member-only discounted fee, right, for members of their program. So we're really enabling through digital channels, consumers to know, hey, when I get a crown, it's going to cost this much. Or if I get a cleaning, it's going to cost this much. Or if I get 
a root canal is going to cost this much. It's what we call retail fees. It's different than traditional kind of insurance UCR reimbursement rates, education of the member throughout the member life cycle on what it means to be a member and, and how to properly achieve oral healthcare and what that means to um, them as a consumer, how much money they're going to save, et cetera. We are a digital first company, right? All of our websites we build out for each of our plans. We have kind of like a, a consumer facing website as well. I love that because one of the things that my dentist does is regularly text me. And my interface is like texting. Don't call me, text me. And I think it's always fascinating that they text me to make my appointments, which is really super convenient. But when I go in, they seem to like print out a lot of stuff. It's like always getting printouts of like what I have to do. And then I get a printout of my visit and I get a print. Like there's a lot of paper and I always try and sort of reconcile this. I'm like, if you could be texting me to make my appointment, it's so convenient, it's digital first, but then you print stuff out. Is it really hard for actual dentists themselves and the back offices to switch, you think, to digital? Historically, yes, because dentistry was a cottage industry, right? So you might have a dentist with their wife who was an office manager, and they might have one or two hygienists. And these are clinicians. They're focused on practicing dentistry. They didn't go to dental school to learn about the you know tools and resources in the digital world to help them kind of run a more streamlined practice. So the DSOs are the ones who really enable at the kind of business level, enable their offices with the tools to be digital first. So we see that kind of the, the, the traditional solo practices, independent practices are, are very much a little bit more old school. And you'll see the DSO supported practices have a more digital first structure because they have that support at the kind of corporate level to support them when they're practicing dentistry. You have to have data. You have to have access to data by everybody, basically. So who owns the data? How does that get structured? And are you seeing shifts there or even deltas between the traditional kind of cottage dentists versus the consumer and what you're offering? Yeah, so there's two really data sets here that we're talking about. One is kind of the subscription enrollee data. So we own all that data because we're the license plan entity and we do the billing. Right. So we do all the, the, the recurring subscription billing for our programs and that our partners right own the data on the services rendered components. So meaning what are the members spending in the practice? What are the trends for members compared to straight beat the service patients or PPO patients that might be under Delta Dental or MetLife? We are launching first quarter of next year API where we're going to be extracting that procedural data real time and then aggregating it in our end and displaying it to their use. Historically, our partners have provided that data to us on a quarterly basis, the procedural data. And we've always wanted to have more real-time access to the services render data, but we've been held back by kind of the, the, the practice management systems in dentistry, right? They're, they're not fully open source like other healthcare sectors, right? Dentistry tr traditionally is a little bit behind on innovation. Do you run into issues or challenges with trying to train people on how to safeguard your data. I'm thinking about a situation that I've seen across practices, right? It's like, I have my dentist, my kid has two different dentists because he goes to the orthodontist now too, which is a joy, pure joy, I must say. But it's interesting because uh, they're always in these kind of open environments. It's a very lovely place because there's lots of white space. They're always open. I can see who the other patients are. But one of the things that always creeps me out because I'm a policy person is I actually get to see sometimes screens with patient data on them or people are calling out to me like, oh, yeah, you saw the dentist last time four months ago or five months ago. And here's what we said. How's that crown doing? And I'm thinking to myself, wow, that's personal information that I don't necessarily want shouted out loudly enough that other people sitting next to me 
um, or in the chair across the way from me can hear. I'm wondering about how that works with your systems because you are digital first, right? So it's like you have practices in place that are around privacy, around security, but you can only control that really within your universe. Once you invite your partners in this B2B model, we lose a little bit of control over that privacy and security. Is that something that you educate for along the way? Or do you assume that a lot of these dentist offices already are up to speed on that and managing to HIPAA compliance and to privacy requirements? So most of our partners, we... Our, our obviously take that very seriously. About five years ago, I actually um, um, hired in-house counsel who is prior to joining member seat was uh, a healthcare kind of focused attorney out of Dallas. So we here at member seat have implemented uh, very strict HIPAA uh, policies and procedures for the entire company. And that trickles all the way down to product. So whenever we're building out anything on the product side or on the digital side, we're always making sure that at the HIPAA compliance aspects of it are, are looked at. You know, with us, you know, we are really today from a from a data perspective, like I said earlier, handling the, the subscription-related data. We rely on our partners to provide us these services rendered component data. When we roll out our API, we believe that will actually enhance the ability for us to, 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 to guide our partners in a more compliant HIPAA-focused manner. But today, we're very, you know, limited on the services rendered data that we're collecting through our platform because the API has not been launched. But that's a great question. It's it's, it's one that obviously we, we get a lot from our partners and, and in all of our agreements, we have you know, HIPAA addendums and, and enter into terms and, and uh, policies with our partners to make sure that the handoff of data from us to them and vice versa is done in a, in a HIPAA compliant manner. Yeah, I just I always wonder about that. I don't have concerns about you personally or member C. The data aspect, it seems like it's fairly well in hand, but I always do hark back to the dental pediatrician or to my pediatrician and wonder a little bit about that. Yeah, and when we get the data too, like like it's it's a lot of times for the non-members, it's de-identified, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that we're only collecting what we need, identifying any any specific patients attached to that data. What is the most exciting part about our data right plan is, is if you look at American Dental Association and their Policy Institute, and they publish every single year various trends and and, and data related uh, metrics for EPO for insured patients, and that's because they can aggregate the various insurance companies and look at the claims data and see trends in dental spend amongst PPO patients. But historically, this 120 million ish Americans of service or cash based patients. No one's been able to aggregate that data and really see coast to coast what the spending trends are or the consumer habits are for that sector of patients. With us being the platform and kind of the the facilitator of cash paying patients through subscription, we have a unique um, perspective and unique ability to take in that data from coast to coast and then be able to analyze it and show kind of what the trends are amongst fee-for-service patients and spending. Mm. Yeah, that, that's insightful. One of the things that's unique, I think, about you, Eric, is, and I didn't say this up front, but from a practitioner perspective, you've actually practiced dentistry. You've kind of seen both sides of the coin here. I'm wondering, just with as much data as, as being created, obviously for the consumer support, better service delivery, but how is the deluge of healthcare data impacting practitioners? You know, I think practitioners are being overwhelmed with various quote unquote dashboards or quote unquote platforms. So I think there's a shift going on. It's going to continue to where you can kind of consolidate all of that into a central dashboard, a centralized set of data so you can get a holistic view 
at, in our case, a, a membership program and how that relates to, to the overall practice, the overall practice or practices. I know there's a big push in dentistry right now to connect dental data with overall medical data and see the correlation between primary care physician and your dentist because there's all types of studies that point to uh, better oral care leads to better overall healthcare. Well, with that trend in the industry, what potential and challenges do you see in technology companies such as maybe Google or Amazon jumping into this dental space? I know that Amazon, for example, bought out pill packs, so they're all about let's get into that space. But do you see an increasing focus on fostering innovation in healthcare by these companies? You know, I'm not seeing anything from those companies in, in dentistry specifically. But I think mm-hmm. those companies are more focused on the pharmacy side and more focused on, on the medical side. We've got aspirations to go into other industries that are similar to dental, meaning consolidation is occurring. They have a retail consumer kind of mindset. And there's a lot of cash in the market, meaning insurance is not favorable. And those spaces are kind of your dermatology, med spa space, optometry and ophthalmology, and then veterinarian, right? If you if you look at those spaces, they're, they're, they're just like the dental market, kind of five to 10 years. So we're very excited about the possibility of going in those spaces, but we're really kind of focused here at Member C on the, the ancillary uh, healthcare space. So we, we don't have any plans on going into the medical or into the pharmacy side of healthcare, but staying strictly focused in these kind of ancillary spaces. Staying true to the mission. I like it. I don't think we're going to really be out of the pandemic. Don't know that we necessarily see a clear start and stop to the pandemic. But as you look ahead to 2022, going into 2023, what are your biggest predictions? Like, what are the biggest risks and opportunities? It seems like it's all kind of goodness coming ahead. Uh, But what are the things that you kind of foresee are the biggest opportunities, the risks that are out there? What should dental practitioners be thinking about? What should they be doing if they're going to stay in the game and actually excel? Yeah, look, I, I think at the end of the day, dental practitioners have a responsibility to provide right oral health care to the greater population. I mean, I think that there are so many Americans that, that do not go to the dentist or only go to the dentist when they have an emergency where I view that the future of dentistry is membership. And we think that because of the consolidation and the prediction that the DSO market will be almost 50% of the overall dental market by 2025 and our focus on the DSO market, we feel like we're on the, the right side of the trend here where when we create our programs for our partners, we might have a partner that has 100 locations today. Well, in a couple of years, they might have 300 locations. So we're you know, really kind of powering the grassroots movement of the dental industry and their want and their need to create a more connected and personal experience for their members without third-party dental insurance companies getting in the way. So I view, like you said, the pandemic dental spending is still down about 15, 20%. I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon, but I, we have seen uh, significant increases over the last 12 months in dental spending and dental office visits. So we, we think that's going to continue to get better, but I don't think it's going to be back to pre-pandemic norms anytime soon. But overall, we're just super, super excited about about our company kind of being the third party company that does not represent the interest of an insurance company, but is representing the interest of the dentists themselves. Eric, this is phenomenal. I really enjoyed this, mostly because you've been at this for a fairly long time and disrupting the industry, I think, for longer than we were aware of the fact that you could actually disrupt the dental industry. So appreciate you sharing the journey, what lies ahead, and also just what Member C is up to. 
Come back and tell us more about it as it progresses. Thank you for joining The Power of Digital Policy. To sign up for our newsletter, get access to policy checklists, detailed information on policies, and other helpful resources, head over to thepowerofdigitalpolicy.com. If you get a moment, please leave a review on iTunes to help your digital colleagues find out about the podcast.